0: The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To
1: end policing, as we know, it. off the charts violence in New York City. Eleven people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the
0: police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it.
2: Guns up, giddy up, wolf pack. You're listening to your the- oh, not. This is one podcast for police, media, society, and culture. If this is your first time to Failure your Stop, you're listening to the Thursday night show, but Failure to Stop starts way earlier in the week on Tuesday night with True Crime with Andrea Uplate and Eric. And then on Wednesday or Thursday, depending how you take it in, you'll listen to Last Call with Eric Tanzi, who gives you all the best advice you need to how to not sound like an asshole when you're thinking about domestic violence and dead babies, and so you don't bring that to the table on your weekend barbecue. Thursday night, you're here. On the comm center with drew breezy we are in the com center with drew breezy and then of course on fridays our flagship show failure to stop where erica drew will break down the biggest stories from the thin blue line both retired police officers both will give their takes unapologetically and unafraid because they are retired and they can do whatever they want drew how are you doing tonight how was your valentine's day
3: uh it was good we d- we went we did not go through with the uh, rob zombie idea of coffins but um uh, we did a lot of coffin <laughs> one of us was sick uh, no, I'm joking about the whole thing. Uh, Valentine's day was just fine. Um, it was very uneventful. I don't know what it was like for you. Was there a lot of creme brulee in your household?
2: There's no love in my life. I do have a review to rev- read over the air. I know last week we had a, a contest with the Wolf Pack. Uh, failure to stop fights back. We're trying to get back onto the charts. And so I have a review to read that was left by one of our many faithful on iTunes. Uh, this uh, comes from uh Falk narrator. She's one of our many fans. She says, Wolfpack assemble a woe. I'm not sure what that means. I think that's. It not about it there you go. Everyone should know this podcast. Let it fill your ear holes. It's quite the delight. Mike, who? Drew's the new man in town. And John, with new shows like Com Center. it's amazing. And then this is parenthetical. Hell, I've been with them since I, since it was just Mike and Eric on Friday's breakdowns, a little after they came out with the banger, the wolf pack rap, which I do not remember, by the way. Then they penetrated my ear holes. Let's not forget, Andrea, she brings the vibe and keeps Tansy in check. And that's the best listen on this show, on a ghost bed for the best spiritual experience. Guns up, giddy up. Thank you for that review. We appreciate it. We read those on the air uh, to... Re- basically as a favor to our fans who leave us those reviews if you want to support the show that's the best way to do that lead a rating or a review five stars or more on itunes or spotify remember that failure to stop is brought to you by failure to stop and the best thing you could do to support the show is to support us and you can help us come back on the charts by doing that we're also brought to you by Ghostbed. what's going on in the news this week drew
3: Wow, we had a pretty eventful week from the uh, from a comm center standpoint. I mean, uh, there was a very significant event that occurred on Monday night. There was a uh, an active shooter. I, I got a text message from a former member of the show, a DM that's that kind of led me pointed me in the right direction of, uh, "Hey, download this scanner app. There's an active shooter going on." And uh, so I listened to it. It was very impressive, the the dispatcher that was handling it. I mean, it was a multi-agency thing. There were plenty of people there. There were multiple dispatchers on there also. I mean, I, I know that they had the channels kind of combined. But in East Lansing at Michigan State University, they were still trying to put together why a man opened fire on, uh, on the Michigan State University campus, killing three students and wounding five. The gunman fatally shot himself after a roughly three-hour manhunt and uh, there's an extensive timeline of uh, how this went down. It started about 8.15 in the evening, and um, it's, uh, the, the, the scary part of this is, just imagine being a university student and getting that text that says, uh, university police issue the secure in place run hide fight alert. Like, this is the drill that you've been working on since you're you've been in kindergarten, or you know, in this generation maybe in kindergarten, and you don't know why, and then you had a couple other forces at work. Like it was the eve of the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, anniversary, five year anniversary. But listen to how this went down over the radio. So this just goes to my point, uh, and I, I know that uh, I, I, it's not falling on deaf ears, and especially if you're a dispatcher and you're listening, but people underestimate, I think, the intelligence value of the communication center when a, a, an active shooter or a multiple casualty event like this happens. Where do you think people are going to call, first of all? Second of all, where do you think the officers are going to call, whether on the radio or on the phone? So. You know, in a situation like Uvalde, in a situation like Michigan State, it just so happened that they were, uh, in at Michigan State, either well-staffed or she was able to manage it well. She, she trained for it, perhaps. Uh, maybe she hasn't. I know that she's being hailed as a hero uh, for the way she handled things. And this went on to the wee hours of the morning till pro- I, I think, uh, around midnight is when they found him. Uh, he had com- uh, committed suicide. So uh, the shooter had. Uh, had no association with the campus from what I understand, but I'm a little bit behind on that news. But, um, I mean, once again, John, uh, it's the communication center that is kind of the glue that holds it all together.
2: Yeah, I want to commend those dispatchers for handling another tough incident. Seems like that's what our whole career is, and it certainly, that that is true. But uh, kudos to the gold line in there in East Lansing people think about my job when I tell them I'm a 911 dispatcher, they think that, you know, I take a call and then I tell a, a real hero where to go and, and take care of it. Like I just hang up the phone or I have nothing to say. But really, you know, 911 operators are the intelligence gathering apparatus for certainly major events like this, but even small ones. And, you you know, the key point there was she said, you know, we have one person down and we don't know what room he is, but we'll, we'll get more information to keep dispatching. Dispatching is a live process, an ongoing process. And when you have something like this, it's not simply enough to say, hey, a shooting has occurred at, at the university. We're going to continue to get more information for you as it comes into the center.
3: It's an asset management issue also. And, um, you know, when you get, when you start getting assets from a different agency, sometimes it's, it's difficult to keep up, but, uh, she seemed to have plenty of help. And, um, there is a point where somebody will take kind of command and, uh, you know, the command and control of the operation may be somebody standing behind her or pointing at a whiteboard or something to that effect, but she certainly has to be on the ball for the entire incident to, to, you know, hear And, you know, just listening to it as I did unfold. um, I I listened to it as it unfolded. I guess it should properly speak English for once. She was, uh, she was able to pick things out or hear things. The radios were bad because, you know, it's cold weather and it's uh inside big brick and mortar buildings and she was able to pick things out like i I thought i heard somebody say that and then she would she would repeat it and uh i'm telling you she did a phenomenal job if you ever wanted to do like a case study on uh, how to manage something like that
2: she did and you know in some jurisdictions there's a case where a 911 dispatcher will handle that information Coming in in the com- in the com center is your initial intelligence center. If you have a forward deployed command post at some point in some jurisdictions, you even have a tactical dispatcher. Well, you'll take someone who is trained in that discipline, a nine one one operator, and they'll forward deploy into the field, into the com, into the uh, the CP, the command post, and they'll be there with the incident commander. And there's someone who is so good at gathering that information and filtering it and sort of triaging the information: what's important, what's not important, what's to- of top importance, and giving that to that person. So. Dispatchers, you know, sometimes will even uh, leave the comm center and go forward deployed in the field for an incident just like this.
3: In other news, John, you're sort of the history buff of the the show, of the uh, two and a quarter of us, Uh, not to denigrate dead leg but he's uh, behind the scenes doing a lot of your call screening by the way if you want to call us you can do so by dialing 848-COM-911 that's 848-266-6911 we would love to hear from you we have a couple voicemails we're going to play but is today a significant moment in history for any reason that you can think of john well, every day is significant if you think
2: about it. You know, I, even yesterday I was thinking about all the events that had happened yesterday. But today, I was thinking today about how it's the fifty-fifth anniversary of nine-one-one. That's right, in nineteen sixty-eight, in Haleyville, Alabama, State Senator Rankin Fite completed the first nine-one-one phone call. And of course, it was not an emergency.
3: And weren't those the exact words? This is not an emergency.
2: It was not an emergency, but. You can't, you get, you can't throw back the shot until they say, but
3: right. And it's also ironic because uh, a high majority of the 911 calls that come in are not an emergency Bet you most, that should did. Most of them are not. Yes. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a banger episode uh, of F- failure to stop. We are uh, going to have our friend Marlon Marachi back from LAPD. Uh, and he is bringing an associate with him and we are going to, uh, revisit speaking of anniversaries, the 10th. I believe it's the 10th anniversary. It is the 10th anniversary of Christopher Dorner, who went on a rampage throughout the LA area, was a former LAPD officer that was uh, terminated during his field training, had a couple internal affairs issues. Marlon was part of the uh, investigation in the from the internal affairs sense. And then this guy wrote his 400 page manifesto one off his rocker. And uh, so we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. Don't miss it. It'll be 11 p.m. I'm sorry, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and that's with uh, Eric Tanzi and myself and Marla Morachi and possibly some other guests.
2: You said it was the, the guy from Los Angeles that you had on a few weeks ago, the internal affairs guy? Yes. Okay, yeah, he was great. I'm, that, that's gonna be a good show. Friday is actually always the best show. We have uh, some voicemails to get to. Uh, we had some voicemails today. We wanted to remind the Wolfpack that we love hearing from you. We love involving in the show. We love that you create free content for us to put on the air as we relax. But uh, one thing that's kind of tough is that, you know, if you call in multiple times telling us the same story, I've got to take time to edit that, put that together. And I will do that for you because I love you, but it takes us a little bit of time. So we got a call, another call today that was, you know, four minutes long. We'll play that next week after I kind of uh, cut and sew it together. Drew, what do we got for voicemails?
4: Here we go. It's ten seven, 10-7. Uh, so I'm listening to last week's episode, and what really gets me about that not being a domestic right off the bat is my birthday and my dad's birthday are almost identical to those two individuals in last week's call's birthday. And the DOB is being read out to that dispatcher should have immediately said, you know, you got a 28-year-old versus a 68-year-old. That guy's hand, like the thought of, are there any weapons in the house? That guy is a weapon comparatively. Like the thought of me striking my father is just like, it doesn't stand a chance. And then Drew's been on the street. So you know that anyone that's showing these signs of mental illness has superhuman strength. Like, I I worked in hospital psych wards for quite a while when I was younger, and just the strength of people in a psychotic break is incredible. That should have been a domestic right off the bat. uh, You know, I I feel for her having to live with that, but a, a letter of reprimand was definitely necessary in that case because that never should have been allowed. That should have been tier one call domestic major Right off the bat, it's just unthinkable that that was, oh, this guy's just off his meds. Maybe we'll roll a cop and a social worker down there. I don't know how long ago that call was recorded, but if it was any time in recent history, just there's no way for a man the age of that father, for him to have defended himself, period, let alone the hammer. I just, I can't. I'm sorry. Anyway, you guys have a good night.
3: So I do appreciate the sentiments. I, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything you say. I, I do also like the fact that ten seven canoe is a regular. And yeah, uh, he,
2: he he's our top dog. I guess I, I would say, you know, if, if someone's giving me two dates of birth in an absolute ideal world, yeah, I could sit there and say, yeah, this guy's father is older than him. And I guess that there's a substantial difference there, but I mean, hammer versus guy, I mean, the age isn't, I don't know that that's necessarily going to come into it, or at least if it does, that would be in such an ideal world that, you know, this call probably would have had someone dispatched to it immediately. Like I said, there's so much going on in a comm center that I could take the smallest piece of information that comes to me and I could parse that out and I could really think through it, and reason it through. Like the the age difference between two subjects I could but that's that's a very very highest ideal world and I'm also gonna say this you know I was never a patrol cop but like I've dealt with plenty of people who are off their meds and I know how strong they
3: are here John we're gonna leave it like this for
2: real. I'm now minimized again thank you free John
3: um, Hashtag. <laughs> uh, I, I do wonder if 107 canoe is using the metric system to convert the age here's another voicemail
1: guys Abby Ellsworth here. Great show last week. I have a bit of a follow-up question, which basically is how are 911 calls coded and what are the response levels? I ask this because if I understand correctly, the first call taker has come under fire for classifying this incident as a mentally ill person or a mental disturbance, which is a priority two. Had she classified it as a domestic, it would automatically have been classified as priority one and officers would have been dispatched right away, potentially saving the father's life. And as a side note, I'm curious why someone in mental crisis would be a priority two when those calls seem to so frequently be very dangerous. And I would think would be priority one, but that's that's why I'm calling you. Thanks so much and looking forward to tonight's show
3: abby is always dead on she's uh the host of her own podcast it's called on being a police officer there's been some very famous people that have been guests and there are very famous future guests coming on famous
2: Uh, people handsome guests yes
3: (laughs) with beards and uh i uh i always appreciate abby's perspective because she's genuinely curious uh she's actually inspiring in the sense that Um, when you, when I do a breakdown for law enforcement or even on this show, I'm always thinking, what's she thinking, like, what's she going to ask? And it just makes it a little bit easier to kind of present facts and and not at a, uh, one on one level. I mean, she's, she definitely has her own experiences in law enforcement. So John, what, what do you think about, uh, her question about classifying calls?
2: Well, first of all, I, you know, I really like Abby and I like her show on being a police officer. If you're a fan of this show and you want to see a civilian's take on some of the issues that are going on in law enforcement, uh, you can get that over there. And it's, it's worthwhile to listen to because it's an outsider's perspective. She represents the common citizen who is quite appropriately taking a great interest in law enforcement. And so her, her curiosity and uh, I don't want to call her a layman exactly, but her outsider perspective makes for a very interesting show. I'll say that for the call type coding basically an agency standard operating procedure is going to define what a certain call type is in terms of response so we know that a domestic dispute is possibly the most dangerous call type that you can send a police officer to it's certainly the most hazardous for the health of the the parties involved you have two people they're they're cohabiting inside the same space, possibly weapons, uh, possibly more people, possibly bad information. You always send at least two units out to a, a domestic dispute in progress, which you could argue that this was an in-progress call. As far as the coding, um, you know, that's the, the response code is something that's defined by the SOP. So a domestic is you know of high importance. That's number one. Number two. Uh, the the call was not typed as a mental crisis, and I guess it's it's critical that you parse that out. It was it was coded as a as a mental call, some sort of mental trouble call. You can have people who are going through a, a problem with mental illness, and it can run the gamut between emergent and non-emergent. And that's where the dispatcher fell into the trap. They made a judgment call and said this is a mental call, and not a domestic disturbance. So. In terms of policy, you know, the domestic takes primacy over the mental call. And so the reason why it came down onto the dispatcher and not onto the agency is because she made that judgment call. Had she made the judgment call the other way and something had gone the other way, the liability would fall on the agency, but it was the judgment call that ultimately resulted in her getting the letter of reprimand. And going back to ten seven Canoe, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that she got a letter of reprimand, but I guess, you know, I never said that it was inappropriate. I mean, that happened in, um, you know, you, you have to deal with it. There, there's accountability in our job, too. And uh, to be honest, like if you get a letter of reprimand for something like that, it's it's not good. But I mean, you know, as far as I know, she wasn't suspended or fired or anything. So I think that the response to what happened to that dispatcher is fair. And for the record, I do think that she did a fine job. We can always do better on every single call. I've never taken a call where I could sit back later and say, well, there isn't one more piece that I couldn't have done better because, the completely open and fluid nature of every single 911 call that you take. You're doing the best that you can every single time. And there's always gonna be time for reflection on how could this have gone better, Drew.
3: There's a human behind that headset. And I think that's important to remember. And um, when when somebody tells you that um, uh, mental illness, so, so she asked, what are the meds for? And he said, mental illness. He just said those two words, mental illness mental illness could go from depression to manic depression to um schizophrenia and that is like saying a golf cart and comparing it to a dump truck so they're two very different things but they're both vehicles like if they were stolen they would both be considered motor vehicles so Mm -hmm. um Within you know,
2: within the context of the call, though, I mean, it should have been a domestic because you know he says, "Is yeah. there any violence?" and he says, "Not yet." In the totality of circumstances, there's really no way, no way to not say that that's you know not not a domestic, particularly if you want to be, you know, uh, conservative with your own judgment and and over, you know, last week I said you want to overtype things. You know, you can make it slightly more serious than it is. If they get there and it's less serious than you have said as a dispatchable, well, thank goodness. You know,
3: yeah. Um. So hopefully we've uh, answered that question. You know who I want to recognize also another civilian amongst us who's always on the ball when it comes to crime and law enforcement and true crime specifically is the host of that little show called Night Shift on Tuesday nights. Her name is Andrea. You can find her at Andrea up late on Instagram, but you can always listen to her and Eric Tanzi on Tuesday nights. I know that you mentioned that already, but it always bears repeating because it's an amazing show. Uh, and uh, she does a phenomenal job. Yeah, so. I
2: guess she was a little bit hurt earlier when I said that Friday was the best show. I actually love Tuesday Night Show. I have begged Eric to be on Tuesday nights because nobody loves true crime and mystery more than this guy. I love it more than 911, that's for sure. Like, this is really just my gig to get my foot on the door so I can get on night shift because Andrea's show, clearly the best. I, you know, I try to try to help Andrea. I try to, try to help make Night Shift a good show, but I'm still on the outside over there.
3: Okay, um, so here we go. <laughs> Another call. Enjoy. This is John from uh, John's uh, Meat Shop. You can't beat our meat anywhere. I was trying to get a
5: hold of uh, Mr. Eric Cansey. Here he's got a bait shop and he's a master baiter. If you could have him give me a call, I'd greatly appreciate it so we could do a
3: collaboration together. Thank you. Well, that was a wonderful, delightful call and uh, something that we probably have to put up with from time to time in the comm center. I tried very
2: hard to keep that call from happening,
3: but I really thought that I needed to get out just so people can hear themselves. You know what I mean? (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. I stopped it prematurely and there was a a toy train uh, running through my.
4: Yes. Enjoy
2: this annoying beep. Go ahead, Drew.
4: Comm center. I'm not sure if this is an emergency, but I need your help my neighbor will not stop telling everyone that he sees that he's related to the patron saint of copying people in emails. Frank, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. So obviously I need him to be um, given a psychiatric hold or possibly John as a licensed hostage negotiator maybe able will work out some some terms to make him stop so um, thanks again guys looking forward to hearing from you tonight the show uh guns up get
3: john i'm going to check your license first of all second of all uh saint francis of a cc if you didn't get that is uh the patron saint of uh, comedy. you know
2: comedy is so important you know for our show and timing is the most important thing for comedy and it's so hard to gauge that on a voicemail so really i commend people who try
3: comedy is sparse on our show um so here's what we're gonna do uh probably in the very near future i think that we need to talk about something called and hold on a second i can't find the thing uh this is the one moment in the show i have is is this
2: this is flapjack time drew
3: no, it doesn't necessarily have to be flapjack time. Uh, all I got to do is that. Okay, how about this? If you're a dispatcher like John and you work at the overnight shift, you have to make sure that you get a good night's sleep because we all know in America that getting a good night's sleep is probably the most important thing. It's the Getting a good night's sleep is the most important meal of the day. We love Ghostbed. That's why they've been a loyal sponsor. Loyal, not loyal. They've been a loyal sponsor since day one. All of our fans just rave about them, and they have a super comfortable mattress uh, that lasts forever. They're made. Where do you think they're made, John?
2: The United States of America.
3: Yes, they are. Every mattress has a 20-year guarantee. Uh, I'm sorry, every mattress has a 20-year warranty. And you can try it out for 101 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. There won't be any hard feelings. I don't suggest you spill stuff on it, if you know what I mean. One of our favorite parts about GhostBed is uh, the mattress itself. However, another favorite part about GhostBed is that each mattress has cooling technologies in it. So if you get hot at night, like we do down here in Florida, even though I'm wearing a jacket tonight, uh, these things are an absolute lifesaver. So right now, uh, GhostBed is offering some type of sale. We would uh, we would ask that you go to GhostBed.com, 35% off of everything. If you use the code. Wolfpack. Arr- you don't have to say all that. Brittany doesn't know how to spell it anyway. You can buy a mattress for like 35 bucks a month. They have a 0% down, 0% fi- uh, financing plan. That is if you have Fox Mulder credit. Go to ghostbed.com slash wolfpack and get yourself a good night's sleep. John, what do you think we should do now?
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. First of all, a good night's sleep is something a dispatcher desperately needs. I am on overnights right now and I can barely sleep at all because I don't have a ghost bed. Folks, ghost bed is right made right here in the United States and it would be absolutely communistic if you do not buy one for everyone in your house. For your children, even if you are in a loving relationship, you and your partner should be sleeping in separate ghost beds because otherwise it would be to cheat on ghost bed. True.
3: You, do, you do love America, right? So, uh, here, here's what we'll do. We're going to get into the call itself. Tonight, we're going to talk about a, an incident that occurred. I, I keep seeing that, uh, they released this information about 10 days ago. I'm not exactly sure the date of the officer involved shooting. This occurred in Aurora, Colorado, uh, from what I understand, a stellar agency. Illinois. Uh, are you sure about that, John?
2: Yeah, like 90% sure, Aurora, Illinois.
3: Okay, because somebody's going to get minimized if that's not correct. But at any rate.
2: I withdraw my comment, and now I have no idea what state it was in. So, (laughs) Uh,
3: Someone please Google uh, this shooting and tell me if it was in Aurora, Illinois. It was Aurora, Illinois, and if there was a way to minimize myself. Minimize yourself, Drew. Hold on a second. How do you do that? Can I do that? I can't even do that, so I'm sorry. Here, how about this? Smarty pants. Uh, so we're gonna go with this uh, shooting that occurred in Aurora, Illinois. Um, and uh, there was a, an associated 911 call, and we're gonna talk uh, in depth about the 911 call at first, uh, and then we will show you the video, but first we're gonna play the 911 audio. Are you ready, John?
5: Let's I'm do it. Version, version
3: two. Can you hear that? Uh, I live in. Oh, I'm sorry.
5: I'm having a family altercation here. Need the police. Okay, so Right. What's that was redacted. On? I have uh young people fighting and older people trying to stop them. I've that got a young grandson here who him and his girlfriend are fighting over a baby. The dad is trying to stop them. is getting violent. And before oh. the violence happens, I need somebody to remove Is him. Is it physical or verbal? Uh, it's It could be physical any moment. So it's just verbal right you now? You have a number holding them back, but it could be physical. Okay, but it's just verbal only right now? I'm sorry? It's verbal only right now? Uh, only because I was standing in the middle of them. Okay. I, was I'm calling the back. police now. Uh, only
4: because
5: I was standing in the middle of them.
4: Okay, I, I'm calling the
5: police. now. Um
4: Who's holding them back? Oh, damn
5: it! What? What?
4: Hey, oh, hello.
5: God. Let him out! Don't break my tactics! No, he got him. Who has the knife? Who no. has the knife? Who has the knife?
3: Who has a knife? He's got a
5: knife. He's got a knife in his hand. Who
4: has a knife? Who? Chris!
5: Chris, stop! Chris, stop! Who has the he knife has in her a... hand? Answer me! Yes, he has a knife in his Who hand. Who does? My, the grandson. What's his, 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 name? his name? His name is Christopher Cross. Stop, stop, Chris! Chris. You black, white, Chris No, 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 give me the knife. Is he black, white, or Hispanic? Ma'am, listen to me. Black, Uh, white, or Hispanic? Black.
4: What color shirt? Uh,
5: Answer my question. What color shirt? he He has a coat on. What color? Black. Okay, what color pants? Gray sweatpants. Where is he? In my kitchen with a knife. He's in the kitchen with a knife. Yes. Okay. Is he using it against anybody? No. Hopefully not. No. Where are I'm you? Saying, I'm. I'm. Saying, nope, No. Nope, no. You, Christopher. I need you to separate yourself from him. Shut up, please. Put those up. He's gathering knives. What's
3: your name? What's your name? And, Redacted.
5: Yeah. Where is Christopher at right now? He's in the kitchen.
3: Who else is with him?
5: Nobody. He's separated from the kitchen. Go back. Go back. He's he's separated. Several. He has several? He has more than one, yes. I think it's three. Okay. Can you see them?
4: Yes. Chris, put the knife down. He's not harming anybody, right? Is he threatening anybody?
5: I'm not playing. Okay, Chris, calm down.
4: Is he threatening
5: anybody with him? Yes, everybody. What is he saying? He will kill them, he will kill us, and he will die today. The police will have to shoot him. Who else is in the house? Oh, Chris, Chris, who are you talking to? Chris, oh All right. Who else is there? The police are now. Okay. Are they answering the door? The, are, you the, are you talking to the police? Are you talking to the police, Chris? Come through the door. Oh, God. Come the door. OK, you God. need to go ahead and talk to the police, OK? I need OK. Are you able to get out of the house? Uh, we, can get, we can get out through the garage. He's at the front door. He's at the front door? He's at the front door. OK, are you able to go out of the garage and meet the officers? I'm walking out the garage now.
0: Officers, you
5: you can come. Hmm. Can you hear me? The police want the police want everybody out of the house. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear okay, you. Okay. Go. Who else is in the house there besides Christopher? His baby, his girlfriend. Okay, I want you to take his girlfriend. Anybody that is not Christopher, I want you to go out of the garage. God, somebody's in the shower. Listen to me. Everybody in that house needs to get out and go out of the garage with you. Okay. Right now. Go and get them. Oh. Come on. Christopher, come on. Get out of the house. Get out. Come on out. Come on out. He's in the bathroom all the grandsons in the
4: shower. who are you talking to I'm
5: talking to the police
3: all right um, first of all Christopher Cross was a 80s uh, sailing a, sailing uh, Chris Cross was also a young R&B hip hop group.
2: Are they the ones that wear their clothes backwards? I'm trying. To yes, remember. and
3: one of us, okay. one of them has left us. Uh, one of them. Has oh left no!
2: Left I'm just now finding that out. I wish you hadn't done that on the air.
3: I'm sorry. Uh, because I know that you wear your clothes backwards generally. So just get confused. Yeah. Um, I, I first of all, like the the affect in a you know, y- there's plenty for you to. Break down here but the affect of this woman on the phone is like uh, my heart breaks for that woman because she's been through this a million times probably or she's you know what i mean like you could just hear you could it like, tell. you could tell yeah. like here we go again he's got the he's got the like
2: if anything it's, always, it's dangerous for her because she's now underreacting i mean this guy is clearly you know
3: really- I, I don't but but is she underreacting like has how many times has this happened when she hasn't called nine one one? So, you know, I, I, I do understand your point. I also kind of understand her frustration and she was like, yeah, the only reason they're not attacking each other is cause I'm standing in the middle of them. So she's, she knows how to handle her business. First of all, but second of all, uh, I think she, even she recognizes at this point that it's it's this one warrants the, the police to be called. What did you pick up on?
2: Well, I, I, you know, Copy all of those sentiments. Um, The dispatcher, um, first of all, the reason why he's trying to take command of that call is because she's very distracted, obviously, in her environment. She's trying to be in command or control of uh, Christopher with the knives. He does get bogged down a couple of times trying to figure out who the suspect is, saying, you know, what's the guy's name? And from listening in in hindsight, I can tell you that listening to a phone call is so much different than being on a live phone call. Uh, Your brain works at a different rate when when you're on a live phone call and it's not fast enough. When you're just passively listening to something that you're not engaged in, it can be very easy to pick up any kind of detail. So this guy is on the on, live on the phone as every event transpires. And if you wanna call him out and say, well, we obviously knew it was Christopher this whole time or she had answered questions multiple times. All I can say is it's harder than you think, particularly when it's a call like this and there's a lot of distracting sounds and we don't know what he's doing in the comm center in terms of getting the police to respond he's also getting really hung up on what the guy's wearing. That is super important though, because if this guy's armed with a knife and you're sending a police officer there, they're gonna have guns out and ready to go. And you wanna make sure that we don't have the wrong person getting shot at. So the the main reason he's working very hard to make sure that we have a good idea of who the suspect is. It's very easy to just, get frustrated and say, well, it's obviously the guy screaming and with knives, but there's, there's domestic in progress. So there's other people screaming and we have no idea. There's always, as you'll see in this case, there's always a random, a random event going on or a random other thing going on. That's an element of danger that we haven't accounted for.
3: So if the daddy Mac is crisscross in this example has the knife and the Mac daddy wrestles it away from him when the officers show up, they're not gonna know the difference. They're gonna see the silver of the knife and they're gonna approach that. So he could be the good guy, the one that wrestled the knife away from him and end up right. in a situation where, you know, he freezes with the knife in his hand. And uh, we know how sometimes those turn out, unfortunately. Drew, so- what
2: do you think What do you think about, uh, there's different styles of taking command on a phone call. There's, uh, you know, what you've talked about before is, you know, a repetitive persistence where you lower your voice and you say, you know, what color is the shirt, color is the shirt, what color is the shirt? shirt? Do you prefer that to uh, kind of more of the strong arm tactic, tactic of answer my question because that's, that is frustration coming through on the part of the dispatcher, but sometimes to take command like that, that that does work on some people, but what do you think about that, Drew?
3: I think that um, I, I detected before, when I heard this the first time I detected, um, this dispatcher did a, a great job, I mean, I'm not here to bash this dispatcher. I I think he did get hung up on a few of the details. But again, what are you going to do in the moment? Um, I I detected that he was a little bit inexperienced, like maybe he was first year, second year something like that. Yeah. And it's not that that doesn't mean that he hasn't had two or three of these or ten or twelve of these. And successful
2: Um, ones probably. Yeah.
3: Right. And then it was confirmed right before the show. Somebody reached out to a member of the staff. Somebody in the front office, and they did tell him that yes, we, we know who the dispatcher is, or something to that effect, and that he was fairly new—like, not fairly new, like he—he'd been on his own for a couple months at least. But, um, but you know, just think of so the other side of that coin is he'd only been on his own for a couple months, and he handled this, you know. So, um, and he, you know, he like I said, I, I'm not here to bash him. He, he did a fine job. He, um may have gotten caught up in a few details but we always have the benefit of hindsight in these cases um, i think though to answer your question um this is the frustration that i talk about like okay i'm going to take you down a rabbit hole here people think that it's it's crazy that you know I, I'm not even in my mid-50s yet and I'm retired already and blah blah blah. And you public servants, you know, you police and firefighters, you have this great retirement and da-da-da. Okay, is it great though when you think about what my body has been through um, you know, responding to crisscross Cross with three armed with three knives about to kill his whole family, and I'm trying to read a little tiny screen and I'm running at mock six and or I'm the supervisor you know, worried about the guys that are responding, guys and girls that are responding and making sure that we're doing everything right and wondering if we're about to get into a shooting. And uh, so, you know, the hormones go coursing through your body uh, at, a, at an accelerated rate, which means you age at an accelerated rate, which is for years, you know, they would quote that, you know, a, a retired law enforcement officer only lasts eight to 10 years, or, you know, they have some bizarre life expectancy. I say that to, to bring this Bring attention to the dispatchers. The dispatchers feel the exact same thing. This is where they feel the stress the most. You can you can sense that when he starts raising his voice, like, listen to me, like I am your lifeline right now. He wants to reach through that phone and and slap her back into reality. Like, and it's not um, it, it's it's out of love. It's like it's to get her attention to. Uh, give him information because he wants the officers to be safe. He wants everybody in the house to be safe. And there's a lot resting on his shoulders. And and by the way, this is what I'm saying about their retirement versus a first responder retirement. It's the same hormones that course through their bodies. It's the exact same thing. They're age, They're going to age just as quickly as a first responder. It's just that they're not in the immediate danger as we're about to see on the video. So the long lasting danger is the exact same the, the long-term danger. Um, so I guess to answer your question, John, I, I think there are times you're going to need to raise your voice to get somebody's attention. And if you're in a comp center of any size, you're going to hear that throughout the night. You're, you're probably not going to doze off on the midnight shift because, uh, in the middle of the night, you're going to hear somebody screaming, like, will you listen to me? Or there might be even a cuss word by mistake, or, uh, in the heat of the moment or whatever.
2: When I was in a year or two years, I can remember a few calls where I was yelling pretty good. And then, you know, I had to realize, you know, like, is that the best way to tactically communicate? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it really isn't. And I kind of went to yelling too too much. Um, the point you make, though, about him doing out of love is is perfect, though, because you hear him later in the call go to this great point, which is what I brought up last week, was getting everyone separated. He says, everybody needs to get out of that house. You know, they're like I kind of tried to imply earlier, they're underreacting to this guy with a knife. I get that they're all used to his baloney or whatever, but you know, this guy does, he has three knives on him. You know, one's just not enough. He's up to three at this point. You'll right. see later, he's got one concealed on his body. He's already trying to fight somebody else in the household. I guess mama's having to hold him back or whoever the caller is to him. And he's saying everyone needs to get out of there. And that he's absolutely right. Cause the situation we, we're about to fall into is a de facto barricaded subject. It's a de facto hostage situation. If people can't leave the house, if they can't get out of there and he's armed, I don't know if he's not letting them leave or are choosing not to leave, but he's trying to defuse that from becoming a, a barricaded subject in a hostage situation as much as possible or to mitigate the risks that we're about to have as the police
3: arrive on scene. Um, this kind of goes back to what I was saying last week. It's 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 a tough call. I, I, I don't necessarily think that this proves a point, but his wording is very, um, I, his wording would make it, an attorney's skin crawl because he said you need to go back in there and get everybody out and i i think any attorney worth their weight in salt would make the argument that that's police's job that's that's not her job and so when you've exposed her to that danger and then he comes at her and slashes her throat you have actually this is what i was saying police don't necessarily get sued for inaction police mm-hmm will get sued for action so when you actively tell someone you go in there and you get everybody out it's a it's a very slippery slope it just exposes them i'm not saying it was wrong because he obviously saved a lot of lives i mean he, he did the right thing by telling everybody to get out and as a matter of fact you'll see that was the officer's reaction too the officer was like you need to get everybody out of that house and mm-hmm. they did successfully but um we You're right, go? though. I didn't hear
2: him say you need to go in anywhere. I hadn't. I was under the impression that she was still inside, and so everyone was everyone was un, in a clear and present danger. And by telling you know her to say, telling her to get out of the house, you know, you always want to couch things with uh, if it's safe to do so. You know, you can follow that vehicle if it's safe to do so. Only go back in that building if it's safe to do so. Which, of course, you want to just give good advice to people, but it does protect you legally,
3: somewhat. It, ex- somewhat. Hold on a second. I'm trying to get this. Uh, so you'll understand I downloaded this from uh, YouTube from a site called Police Activity, it, 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 who downloaded it from the Aurora, Illinois Police, and we are using this for training purposes and discussing it. I just want to give them their due for uh, having this video. And oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. I think there's something else I got to do here. There are there's no need for flapjacks, John. We are getting oh, okay um
2: okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, the dispatcher, you know, was clearly no, frustrated.
0: Good.
2: Good. All right. So you have officers approaching the house here. They're approaching on the driveway. They're, g- they're coming up to a screen door. The suspect will be behind that screen door.
3: So now if you'll remember, you could hear in the call in the background, he's saying, come through that door, come through that door. Y- you might have to go back and listen to it again uh, on your own, but that's, you'll hear him yelling, come through that door, come through that door. And that's before she made the connection that the police were here. She, she in fact, she even asked him, are you talking to the police?
4: On, on,
3: the Not on, the uh, for those, oh, shoot officer
4: officer
2: broke level leather he's got the the pistol in his hand there uh because they can see that he's armed one of the first things they're going to do is call for a supervisor to the scene
3: so his officers immediately make contact with the offender and see him armed with two knives at the front door and uh if you're going to download this video or or watch this video on youtube you'll see that uh, he is in fact standing in a uh, black jacket in the doorway the door is glass and uh, you'll be able to see the knives very clearly in a second. Half. Drop the knife. Drop Put
0: it down. Drop the knife. Put the knife down now. Knife down, dude. Put the knife down.
3: Put the knife down. Does anyone know what we call that?
2: Well, verbal commands. First of all, they're trying to definitely disarm the guy.
3: Called de-escalation. I mean, th- th- that's the catchphrase. I, of, in, in I'm America not sure they're like de
2: I'm not sure they're. I mean, they're technically de-escalating, yes, but I mean, but, it, it, but, but, is- but they're going to shift tactics here, and that's what I want to draw attention to. Is first, they're they're coming on strong. They're giving verbal commands, and when they're seeing that this guy is not even listening to him and he's unresponsive, they're going to change tactics. So listen to the the verbiage that they use and the change in their tone and voice, and going from a totally author- authoritarian stance of drop the knife now to changing it because they realize that the suspect with the knives is actually in control of the situation. Drew, go ahead.
0: Hey, listen, dude, we're here to help, man. I'm here to help you. Buddy, buddy, what's your name? Buddy, what's your name? Buddy, what's your name?
3: But you do hear their tone. They're not excited, meaning they're just trying to have a conversation with them. They know the tense, how tense the situation is. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to talk him down.
0: Hey, come here.
3: Start a supervisor. Start a come super come a
0: out. Come on. Put the knife down. Come on and talk to us.
3: Very visibly uh, large, probably like a, a chef's knife in his uh, right hand. I can't see what's in his left hand.
0: Come on, man. Just relax. Listen. Hey, we're here right. to
3: help. He just, it, that clicking you heard were the two knives, he was clicking together.
0: Yeah, he's, oh, got a,
2: he's got a hey. cleaver in each hand
0: get out of us get out
3: of the- he just tapped the knife against the glass
0: bowl. wait
3: interesting here uh i see a ring doorbell i wonder if there's a video of the officers I can't I back
0: with you, I with you.
3: listen bro hey you can't we're here to help man i can't
0: leave what's your you, what's your name buddy what's your name no you don't listen talk to me they're inside. Hey, He's good front of us. What oh, is God.
3: your name? Officers tell the occupants inside the residence to evacuate while the subject is still armed.
0: Can everybody get out of the house? you guys all get out of Yeah, have them get out get out. No, yes, I want to talk. I want you to put the knives down. Want I want you to put what? the knives down. Listen, dude, just you? put the knives down, okay?
3: The officers repeatedly tell the armed subject to put the knives and continue verbal de-escalation tactics, while Christopher threatens to stab them. Hey, you're not in trouble. Don't you?
0: Don't you got to Hey, come here. Hey, you have a child inside, right? Hey, listen. You have a child inside, right? You have a child inside. Hey, buddy, what?
3: The offender states, quote, I guarantee I will stab one of y'all asses by the end of the day. So if you come near me, I will stab you, end quote.
2: The officers are trying to appeal to his uh, status as a father, too. They're already trying to establish a rapport with him by saying, hey, what's your name? You know, if they could get that from him, they would say, you know, I'm I'm Pete, the police officer. I just I just want to help you. And then he's trying to appeal to the protective nature of a father by saying, hey, you've got a kid in there. And right now the biggest danger to the kid is you. So why don't you put the knives down and just let us talk about it?
3: David J. in the uh, chat just asked, at what point can the cops legally break the barrier of the house to stop him? Um, We have to remember in a deadly force situation that if there is imminent threat of death or great bodily harm to yourself or to someone else, deadly force is authorized.
2: We'll get to that.
3: So if there are still people inside, in theory this can happen now. The, the uh, I I don't know that they're certain that a crime has been committed. So I don't know that they have enough. I'm, I'm just running through my head of, of what they would do, but, but essentially what they're doing is stalling him uh, enough time to get everybody out. Mm -hmm. They'll take it from there because if he just shuts the door and he's the only one in there, okay, now we have time to kind of negotiate and do whatever. And the only, the only harm he could do is to himself.
2: Yeah, and negotiation itself is a good stalling tactic, like you said, to get the people out of the house, but also if they if they need you know enhanced tactics to get there, not necessarily SWAT, although maybe SWAT, uh, they need time for those resources to arrive. We know a sergeant or a lieutenant or somebody is already on the way, too. So it's kind of a waiting game, and I feel bad for these police officers because, you know, this guy, he, he has a, a child in there and who knows who else, and they may be able to leave and they may not be able to leave, and those people may or may not be hostages. But the police officers at this point definitely are. You know, you're about to hear them get very frustrated and you can tell that they would love nothing more to leave this scene, but their duty to care and their duty to intervene on in this situation uh, is holding them hostage. And to anyone who's very anti-police and doesn't like this sort of thing, or they don't like what the police are doing, just look at this case, okay? You have this guy in his house he's going nuts with knives and the police have arrived there, and now it's, it's on them. There's literally a responsibility on them for, for them to diffuse what this guy is doing, the choices that he's making with his own life and his own family. Now the burden is placed on police officers who would rather not be there, and they're there to take care of
0: business. Listen. Hey, 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 stay right here, bro.
3: Anybody ever wonder what that buzz buzz is when you hear these? That's, uh, there is a little reminder on your uh, body-worn camera to let you know that you're recording. Stay
2: right here. Door slammed in their face.
3: So he shut the, he shut the front door and there was uh, just this silly little snowman with bells on it.
0: on us. We got two knives.
3: The armed defender slams the door on the officers while there are still people inside of the residence.
0: Tell us we're going to die today. Get, tell her to get everyone out of the fucking house. Out of the house. You guys got to get out of the house. Ask her if that's everybody. Is this
3: everybody? My grandson's in the shower. Okay, so if if you heard her, she just said, my grandson's in the shower. If you'll remember, that's what she said on the 911 call. So if you overlay the 911 call with this body cam, you'll see that she's still on the phone with the dispatcher at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. It says on the screen officers continue attempts to evacuate the home while there is one resident still in the shower. Jeez.
0: Okay, so there's one other there's one other in the car. Okay. Is he to get him out? All right. So we have four subjects. The child, uh, his girl, grandma and mom are out of the house. There's one other male in the house, apparently in the shower, Long ago, yeah. so I You're out now? Hey, let's stay out. Why would you go back in? Hey, hey, come here.
3: Officers try to get a family member out of the house who went back inside to get a dog.
2: Yeah, super, mm-hmm. super frustrating. Um, first of all, they're just the guy being in the shower. I can remember the first time I heard this through and they said one person in the house is inside the shower. And I'm just like, for crying in the night, why is there somebody taking a shower well, this guy's yelling and screaming with knives. I mean, it's just totally alien to my experience because I don't have people in my house doing this. But police officer, sure too, on scene when he was told that someone was in the shower. And uh, at first, I was just really irritated by that. But then I realized later when I was thinking about it, like the person who's taking a shower is probably trying to just take a break from the screaming and violence in the house. They're probably trying to relax and get away from it by being in there. Right now, he's getting the dog. He's getting the dog. He's getting the
0: dog. All right, we're trying to get the one.
3: Uh, There is a question in the chats. Didn't he tell the dispatcher that he was threatening everybody inside, and uh, that could definitely lend your probable cause for a charge? However, I don't know if that was related to the officers.
0: This person, so how did this all start? Uh, no. Come on. You put the dog in the car.
3: Officers wait for additional resources to arrive while the armed defender is still inside the home. Uh, I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, as a supervisor, if I'm there, uh, what I'm working on is uh, identifying a main victim and getting that victim's sworn statement because I want to know that there is a criminal charge. And then uh, from that point, we're while we're still doing this in the background, while we'll, we're still negotiating... We're probably going to start working on getting a detective there to write a search warrant in the event that we have to call swat uh and then hope for a peaceful resolution but everybody and their brother is going to start showing up at this point
2: there's people coming out of the garage now and they've got the dog and they're coming out
3: so as he's walking out of the garage the garage door starts going down and he does something novel to stop it all of the residents are now out of the home except for the armed defender and he's trying to shut the garage door but the guy with the dog just simply sticks his leg under the puts door the foot in
2: front of the sensor so it goes back up automatically yeah. <laughs> then he um
3: then there's a suitcase right inside the door he just kind of drags the suitcase to block the sensor There you go. so um, uh, we, we do have a lot of family interaction here. Like, uh, uh, the family is doing a lot of the, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the, the I'm, I'm definitely not criticizing the officers, but there's a lot of family involvement for there being an armed subject, uh, within a, uh, first down away. Hey, are there any weapons in the
0: house? Fire odds and just fire, what's in the kitchen. Any firearms? Just what's in the kitchen. Not nah, just,
3: just, I a family member comes out of the house with a knife, and he just produced it. The guy with the dog pulled the knife out of his hoodie, and he showed it to the officers there. Nobody's really alarmed by it because they asked, and he showed it to them. Uh-oh. Where are we at? I don't any firearms. If
0: she, nobody, if he has a firearm, I couldn't hey- tell you. Is there any firearms in the household? No, not that, uh, More
3: officers okay. arrive on the scene okay. with okay. less, less lethal options. No so what they're walking up with, you'll see it in a second here. They're trying to put the dog in the car that's in the driveway. You got, uh, it appears a, uh, an officer holding uh, Dudley he's He's got his gun out down by his side. It's not even at a low ready. And w- uh, one officer just handed another officer a pepper ball gun. So it's like basically a paintball gun, but it has pepper, like pepper spray kind of in the paintball. So when they yeah. explode on contact, you, you get hit with the pepper.
2: A quick quick note on on less lethal too. There's a huge misnomer out there by people who are not in law enforcement about what less lethal means. People means think that that means that that's not a deadly weapon. You should know that anytime you're using something that's called less lethal, it doesn't mean that it's not a lethal weapon. It's simply less lethal than a regular firearm. You know, he is using a a a gun that's going to shoot a projectile at him, and there's every chance that it could you know possibly hit him. You know, a taser is a is not. It's a, it's a lethal weapon as well, but it's less lethal than a firearm. So don't ever have it where someone's firing beanbag rounds or pepper ball rounds and think, well, that's a less lethal option. They should not have been killed. Anytime they're deploying this stuff, it's still a very, very ser- serious situation. It's a great option to have rather than shooting a, a regular firearm at somebody, but don't be under the misimpression <laughs> that this is not a lethal weapon. There you go.
3: Yeah. I need
0: to roll
3: so just to paint a picture, I, I just, tactically speaking, there is, a, like I said, the guy's still holding his handgun uh, down by his side, the one officer, another officer whose body camera we're looking at is uh, holding a pepper ball gun. And there's a family member in between the two. Um, so it just. It, for, like, for
2: scene control, Drew, would you get them all out of there, get them down the block, yeah. get them in a car? What would you do?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know that I would have the car move from the driveway. I I don't know that I would have them secrete in the, I don't think I would have them hide in the car because that could be used as some kind of at least tactical shield for the officers there. But, um, I I definitely would have them get down the street. If not for any other reason, then, um, well, first of all, you don't want them in the crossfire, but second of all, um, they, they could be agitating the whole thing. They could be agitating the entire situation.
2: So, they could be, and you also don't know if they're involved or not. Like that—that that other guy that still has the knife tucked into his pants. I mean, I'm not a police officer, but I don't feel good about that.
3: Yeah, I—I I get it. I—I I, I, there's a certain level of trust that you're going to have to endure. But I get you. you you're just—you're going to have to focus on what you got in <shoots> front of you. I'm I'm- I'm- I <to-to-to-noil noise>
4: I just drop the knife, bud?
3: So the offender comes out and uh, the armed offender enters the garage while still armed with the two knives. He grabs the suitcase and throws it out of the way so it's not in the way of the sensor. And just throws it. So the 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 person that put the suitcase in the the family member, the guy with the knife actually the the, the guy the other guy with the knife will call him casually walks hey, up back. he goes to grab the suitcase to put it right back where it was and they're telling back. him finally they're telling him hey stay back
0: No,
3: so depending on he's not, how you're he's thinking not
2: listening by the way he's going and getting a trash can to put under the door so they're advising this family member to get away from the scene the family member is so nonchalant about the danger posed and the tactical situation he's just like i'm going to go get the trash can to help the cops <laughs>
3: He, he, like, it's helpful, but it's, it's, uh, it's harrowing. Like to me as a supervisor or even as a cop, it's like, man, get out of here. Like save yourself. Kind of like, get out of here. Stay there, dude. It's just, it's just like you say, I mean, I, I, I'm not necessarily taking him as a threat, but it is something else to think about. Stay there.
0: the there. the
3: The armed defender tells officers, let me show you how fast I am. So perhaps Christopher Cross is gonna ride like the wind.
0: Okay. Drop, it. drop the knife, drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. You like is-
3: drop the knife. So that the popping sound you heard is a bunch of pepper balls hitting him. Mr. Cross turns uh, turns his back to them and you could see they, they were hitting him effectively. They were hitting him in the upper chest and uh, upper, what would be his right shoulder, but he turned his back on them. Um, he's got, so a, the, got a
2: puffy jacket on that looks like pretty good
3: armor yeah, on it. He has a literal puffer jacket, and the plume of pepper spray or pepper ball or whatever is kind of wafting outside of the garage, not where he is. So, in a flash, he turns around and he is headed straight for them.
0: Drop the knives. So we're going to watch a replay
3: here. This is another perspective from the other officer's body worn camera, and it's in slow motion. Drop the knives. It's less
0: lethal. Drop the knives. Drop the knives. Drop the
3: the knives. They show uh, circles around the two knives. He's got a knife in each hand, and he has one hidden in his boot, in his uh, left boot. And that is. uh, Gunfire that you're hearing, so they use deadly force. Drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. So this is matched up in real time.
0: drop the knife. It's less lethal. Drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. Shots fired, shots fired. Started <laughs> oh, Start started ammo.
3: Okay. Some important things, I don't think we're going to have time to go through the whole thing of what the family did. There's a point where somebody screamed at the officers, why would you shoot him?
2: Yeah, which it just really, responded. really aggravates me because the guy's, the guy's running. He says, let me show you how fast I am. And he's charging with two knives. And I, I can tell you, there's all kinds of stats to back this up. I think Tansy knows it, or maybe you do. But how long does it take for someone to go from, you know, they do have pistols in their hand. But how does it? How long does it take to go from a holstered position to having your gun out? And the amount of time. No, that- is, that's called
3: the 21 foot rule. When when somebody is 21 feet away, uh, your reaction time is that you won't be able to react to their uh, closing the distance, just like he did. I, and he proved it. Uh, he, I mean, that the, the 21 foot rule is court tested. Like that's widely known and widely used in law enforcement as uh, somebody with an edge weapon. Um, and there was not necessarily an opportunity to create distance because they were trying to talk to him and then they engaged in the less lethal to try to end the situation uh so he was well within the 21 feet and then that closing distance I mean it was like 21 he got
2: to do a sprinter stance too like he literally turned around and lowered lowered his body you know to get you know basically a charge in his leg so that he could take off at as fast a speed as possible he was looking to run towards that police officer and stab him. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm not a police officer, but I have had shoot and no shoot drills. And absolutely drives me crazy when you hear a member of the public saying, Why did you shoot him? He only was armed with a knife. Two was this knives. police was it, yeah, or two knives or three. Was this police officer supposed to take one to the face or to the chest or the arm? Or what was he supposed to do before it was it was completely okay to shoot this guy back? I mean, are you kidding me? This this is completely a lethal situation. Anyone who says that a knife is not a lethal weapon maybe it's less lethal compared to a gun has never had somebody standing there in front of them with a knife in their hand, charging at them because then you realize it's as lethal as a gun is. Uh,
3: the, the other thing I just want to point out, uh, per department policy, a police officer's place the offender in handcuffs. This is to ensure the offender doesn't have access to any other weapons. Um, the first thing out of that, one of their, one of the officer's mouths was we need medical, we need EMS. We need, you know what I mean? Like, I believe they were,
2: I believe they had already been called. I think when they arrived on scene, they said, you know, call EMS," and they're probably staged nearby. I think right. they said that the the paramedics actually arrived on scene within three minutes. That sounds like they were coming from a staging point.
3: Yes. Uh, just for, um, for giggles, uh, the, the um, 911 call lasted four minutes before the officer arrived. So that's a very quick response time, by the way. Um, so that's, that's kind of it. That's, um, I I mean, there's a lot more to the, um, to the, there's a lot
2: more in the video where they start, you know, putting tourniquets on him and, uh, doing, doing, you know, first aid for him. And the guy's got his hands cuffed behind him. The poor family, another reason to move him away from the house is now, you know, now they're watching this, they're wailing. They, they do love this guy and they just saw him get shot. However, many times as he was running down the driveway, which of course they never want to see they're traumatized by that. Um, but unfortunately he pressed the issue and he forced the police to do that. And I, I wish none of it had happened. And I, I feel, I don't know what's going on with this guy's life that he got to this point. I wish we had been able to defuse it, but you can all the time.
3: Uh, I do too. I feel the exact same way. I, I don't, I, I don't want to see any deadly force used on anybody. Like it's not, it's nothing for, uh, it's nothing worthy of celebration, but it's, it's a recurring thing that we've talked about on this channel over and over again, it's um, you can't p- completely blame this on the media. However, uh, when they spread kind of half-truths to, to push a narrative, this is what you get. You get resistance in return. You get people who just don't trust the police, and there may not be a reason for them to mistrust them. Whether, they, whether there's a reason or not, they're just going to default to mistrusting the the police. We'd love to take your calls. If you're available, 848-COM-911. That's 848-266-6911. John, what did you think about the police response?
2: Well, you know, I will say, you know, of course, there's some inherent distrust. I'm not sure that that's something that's going on all the time or certainly in this guy's mind. He's so worked up that maybe one question the dispatcher could have asked earlier. And again, I'm not here to throw dispatchers overboard. I want to make that clear. But knowing whether or not this guy was intoxicated would be a a huge game changer in terms of how they respond to him. Um, I know that with the Daniel Shaver case, you know, intoxication and an altered level of consciousness was huge in terms of responding to commands. But ultimately this guy has no psychological equilibrium. He's completely worked up. He's completely emotional. And uh, whatever he's really mad about, he's in a blind rage and nothing's getting through to him. And they did try verbal de-escalation, they did try try commands. And from the moment the police arrived on scene, you know. Unfortunately, it, it only made him matter. you know, he didn't wanna be dealing with the police. Unfortunately, it was already a police issue. It was, it was almost tactical from go just because he had the knives in his hand. Um, you know, you, want, you can negotiate to a certain point, but there's a time to talk and a time to shoot. And when you're in a situation like this and someone has knives in their hands and you have a house full of people, you're almost at a tactical solution right away. They did try to negotiate. They did engage with the guy. They did make a good faith attempt to defuse it. A lot of people will look at this and say, well, you know, they he came out and then, and then they shot him and then he came and then they shot him some more. But the truth is, is that you know, you have to look at the totality of the circumstances. You have to look at everything that happened before and after. And as soon as the police arrived, this guy was never ready to talk to them. He was he, he wanted to stab the police from the moment they got there for whatever reason. They were going to be the persons that he took out all of his anger and rage on. And I, I feel bad for those police officers too because they don't want to shoot anybody like you said. And now they have all this administrative stuff that they have to deal with for being in an officer involved shooting. And believe me when I say that police officers would much rather have nothing to do on their shifts and the bad stuff that, they, that happens with police. And today they're all, they always get called to respond first.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what the, sometimes the burden gets put on them that, um, like we called you for help. <laughs> well, what would you have done differently? I mean, I, I still, you know, I ask that in every debate, like, tell me, okay, in your experience, what would you have done differently? And, and like, I think the dangerous thing is that some people are in the actual belief that there's some kind of celebration that happens after that. Like they pop champagne and, oh, is this your first one? No, it's my fifth. You know, like it just doesn't work that way. Both, both of those officers' lives are changed forever. And if it's a bad shooting in the sense of, um, somebody caught the 10 second clip without, uh, w- without, uh, pointing out that there were knives in there and it spreads like wildfire on social media. Well, guess what? You're the scapegoat now. And you're, you're shooting at quote, unarmed black men and quote, and that's the problem with you cops and you're all racist. And, and that clip is going to spread like wildfire and people actually believe that nobody's going to slow down the officers in my opinion did a great job at slowing everything down um but nobody wants to in the big picture nobody wants to slow anything down to kind of um take a look at all of the facts they some you know you got news organizations that want to be the first to report and then you have social media people that want to do the same yeah all they're going
2: to mention is that officers shot somebody you know and I don't think this one made big news about whether or not, you know, the the race of the person involved, but how they often do that, though. In this case, though, you know, you can see that this is clearly a situation which required police intervention. Uh, one article I read was is that uh, they were when they were critical of the response, they were saying that there is a crisis intervention team or special, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a social worker unit, but specially trained police officers who are trained in crisis negotiation, but also some psychology and things like that, and they're, they're designated officers on part of a, like a mobile crisis response team. And they said the resource wasn't available. And so the right from the get go, the, the news response to this was, well, you know, they almost implied in the article I read well a social worker should have been called or someone should have been there to to deescalate the guy the police oh. officers already tried that I'm not sure I'm not sure what else it would do to take someone who's unarmed and someone who's not a police officer and put one more person at, at risk in that situation so I don't think that their team is comprised of civilians but to those who say that you know a, to those who say that a domestic dispute that a counselor should be there or a psychiatrist should be there. I guess I challenge you to look at the situation and, and tell me how it would have turned out differently.
3: There, there is a place for that in law enforcement. I mean, the, the place where I used to work has a pretty robust mental health unit. They're trying to build, they're their modeling after uh, certain other agencies and they do have social workers involved, but it's it's essentially an aftercare kind of situation. It's it's follow-up, it's not necessarily we're gonna respond as a crisis intervention team. They, I'm sure that they're trained to do that, uh, but, when you call 911 and you say that there are people threatening with knives, you get what you get. And then then those people there or the supervisors that show up after, uh, it's incumbent on them to to call in the resources from there. So anybody who, who would criticize, like there was a four-minute response to a, a guy uh, with a, several knives threatening several family members, that's a pretty good response time. I mean, a community should feel safe. Uh, and you know what, if you don't run at the police with a bunch of knives, you, you probably won't get shot. That's kind of the, uh, the, the, the other thing about.
2: And, and ultimately it's, it's unfortunate that it happened. And it's, it's a sad story. And I'm glad for the police officers that they won this one, that they get to go home to their families. But you know, ultimately we wish it never happened. The, the sad thing for 911 dispatchers and police officers is that sometimes even in our best moments, there are moments where we could say, well, thank God, you know, that no officers were hurt um thank god that you know we saved that situation thank god that we caught that murder or whatever it's still still in the shadow of, of s- some terrible thing that happened and so even our even our best moments are kind of in the moments of tragedy and you know we have to live with that in our, in our career that even the best stuff that we do there's still so much sadness and bad stuff going on
3: we're going to go to our caller our friend abby how are you this evening
1: i am great guys how are you i just wanted to I've covered the co-responder and the co-deployed model in my podcast, and they cannot respond to a call like this, as far as I know. the The threat has to be stopped, I think, yeah, before I, they can intervene. What, what, the you, cops have to. It's kind of like with fire; they they can't in, in, in something that dangerous, that active. I believe in you guys would know better, but that's that's my my two cents
3: was that uh the seattle program that uh you featured
1: it's um several it's spokane
3: uh spokane is
1: co-deployed where the uh mental health professional rides with the officer and then in the greater seattle area it's co no, no sorry yeah it's a responder model but like you said in this it could take Hours before they get there.
3: Yeah, nobody in law enforcement is rejecting uh, that. I mean, thank you, Abby, for your perspective. is always wonderful. But nobody in law enforcement is is rejecting the social worker notion or the social worker idea. The less you could take off of a law enforcement officer's plate, the better. But just as the example, and if you want to go back to hear an example of uh, is this a mental health call or is this a domestic? Why don't you look at the call from last week? I mean, like we classified that as a mental health call. And (laughs) it turns out it was a domestic. So this is the slippery slope of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking people who are human beings and and uh, they they are trained to assess and they assess risk. And, you know, whether you classify or misclassify a call or you get to a scene and it's a mental health issue, not a guy with uh, two knives that's staring at you, banging those knives against the glass. I mean, uh, you know, I I think what you have in front of you and and you're right, Abby, like no social worker in their right mind is just going to walk up and say, Christopher, now you put those knives down. His, his grandmother wouldn't even wasn't even no
2: but but naive people will say that they'll they'll believe that someone can go out there and do that and you know i believe mike the cop had a video on this a couple years ago that modern policing was all about sunshines and rainbows and that was all going to work out if you handle it that way and we just we know that that's not the case but people that criticize the police will say you know you should have just had someone out there doing that and it wouldn't have ended this way and it's it's naive and it's it just shows you how little people know about police work
3: Abby, thank you for the call. I know exactly what your point was, and I'm I'm uh, I always appreciate your support and your perspective, um, especially with that uh, specialized knowledge of what goes on in Spokane and uh, the Seattle area. I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, for the uh, for the listeners at home, um, it, it's it's a matter of the cops did everything that they could do, and when you have somebody rushing at you with a knife um like the information now travels at light speed uh whereas um these incidents were probably far and few between a couple years back even um but with the advent of social media even with the advent of the cell phone that put the cops in the right place at the right time uh, a lot quicker than normal um these incidents are a little bit more frequent john do you have anything further any other calls in the queue there are no other calls in the queue um, all right well
2: well, wolfpack we would encourage you to be part of the show you know there's uh, if you have something to say the chats is certainly active if you're in the chats you know feel free to to give us a call anything that you want to talk to us about we certainly love talking about the case if you do want to support failure to stop just remember you can uh, hit like hit subscribe on the youtube if you go uh, log in on a desktop computer you could become a paid member which will give you access to Perks. So we would appreciate your support as we go forward with Failure to Stop 2.0 in the new point in the new year. It's been very cold and it's been very uh, discouraging here sometimes. But we uh, we believe in the show and we want you to show that you believe in us too. So give us some support. Help us keep Failure to Stop going strong. Help Drew. Uh, <laughs> help Drew in so many ways, <laughs> and uh, we're also looking forward to. Seeing you guys at our meetup in April in Clayton, North Carolina. We're going to be out there April 12th, which I believe is a Wednesday. We're going to be at Instill Distilling Company in Clayton, North Carolina, which is where Eric Tanzi has his uh, distills, his fine runs, fine rums. Come out and meet us. We're going to have a meetup there, I think, around five in the afternoon. And then there's going to be a, an after party where we can tour the studio and do some other things. Drew and I are going to be out there. We're going to finally meet up for the first time in real life. We're going to hash out all of our differences, possibly much in the same way as this Colin Aurora. And uh, we're also gonna do our show live together for the first time in Eric's studio. We're gonna put our feet up on his desk and uh, possibly steal that picture he has of Casey Anthony. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you all out there. And some of us are gonna have a great time and some of us are gonna have a terrible time and we're gonna see how it turns out.
3: It's gonna average out though, that's the point.
2: I know, but by the end of the day, you're gonna be like, well, I had a lot of fun and there was a lot of of terrifying shit. And so at the end of the day, I kind of feel neutral about the time that I spent out there. (laughs)
3: Um, I can't wait to see everybody. Listen, thank you very much for uh, indulging us uh, tonight. John, uh, um, an amazing job as usual. Thank you, Deadleg, for being our screener and our rock. Um, Please call during the week and leave us a voicemail, 848-266-6911. That's 848-COM-911. We will see you on the next one. Don't forget tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, if you want to join the fun. Uh, It will be the flagship show, Failure to Stop. Uh, And again, it's going to be a good show with uh, Eric Tanzi and myself and Marlon Maracci from uh, formerly of uh, a retired uh, LAPD internal affairs uh, sergeant. So uh, we're going to discuss the Christopher Dorner case. Until next time, I uh, hope that you will share this with your aunt, Sally. She's a very popular woman, though you may not know that. Uh put this out on social media, spread the word. I would love to uh have D- a-
2: dial nine one one, tell your local operator that you support them.
3: <laughs> Please just stay on the line, but tell them to listen to our show. Uh and blame it on your children when uh when they ask uh why you called 911.
2: Oh, it was my baby. It wasn't me. Is there a parent <laughs> at home? I'm the parent. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Apparently. Okay, so until next time, I'm Drew Breezy. This is my partner, John. And we are leaving, but John, don't leave the chat.
2: Guns up. Giddy up. Good night.